We are on. Okay, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I went first on the last episode. Did you? I guess you did. Yeah. Wait, this is the one where we talk about murder. This is the one where we talk about murder. I'm Maggie. I'm Cassie. And this week we're going to do lesser known serial killers. Yes. Equally as fucked up, just maybe less press. Why'd you pick your guy? Because they claimed that he was the most notorious serial killer in Connecticut. I literally never heard of this guy. Okay. He's also super fucked up. Great. In, like, possibly the worst ways. This guy is, too. Love it. Okay, so I'll go first. Yep. Okay, so I'm doing Donald Henry Peewee Gaskins. Um, and his Peewee is in his name because, like, his whole family just called him Peewee. Because he was 5'2 and 130 pounds. Um, he was born an illegitimate child to a very large family. Um, when he was a whopping one year or one year, one years, one year old, one year old, he drank an entire bottle of kerosene, which caused him to have convulsions until he was three. And I would, I think it's pretty safe to say that he was um, definitely a neglected child. If he's left alone for that length of time to drink an entire bottle of kerosene at one entire bottle agree and to further my point that he was a neglected child he didn't learn his like birth given name which was donald until his first court appearance when he was 13. several thoughts um that's entirely too old to not know your first name and entirely too young to be in court and he was in court for um robbery and rape at 13. They were called the Trouble Trio. He had two friends and they gang raped one of the boy's sisters. Oh no. Real life. Welcome to South Carolina. (laughs) Um, After his conviction uh, for the said crimes, the robbery and rape, he was sent to a reform school where it was said that he was regularly raped by his fellow inmates due to his small size. Hmm. Naturally, that's what people do. In prison. Well, yeah. So then he escaped from the school, got married, and then voluntarily returned himself after his child marriage. And I know it was a child marriage because she was 13, and when he was released in 51, he was 18. And this was prior to that. So she's 13. I'm thinking he's, like, maybe 15 or 16. Because it doesn't say the year he escaped. There's a lot to unpack there. Escaped prison, child marriage, turned himself back. I'm sorry, did you say it was an arranged child marriage? Or like nope. he just for fun Just 15, for fun, junior just... high school playground, getting real life married. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> we're married now. <laughs> but legally? Who did that though? It's the 50s in South Carolina. I think you could like still marry your brother at that point. And rape your sister. Yes. Well, you couldn't do that, you'll go to jail, but <laughs> you can <laughs> If it's legal, if it's consensual. So then, in 1951, he was released at 18. After he was released, he briefly worked at a tobacco plantation where he was arrested two years later in 1953 for attacking a girl with a hammer after she insulted him. Talk about a fragile ego. (laughs) He's 5'2". She insulted him and he came came at her with a hammer? Uh Uh-huh. She's probably bigger than he was, to be fair. I think most people are. Yes. 
So after the hammer attack, uh, he was sentenced to six years, but this time he earned the respect of his inmates by killing the most feared man in prison, which earned him additional three. But that's pretty small when you're looking at not getting raped every day. Yeah. I mean, so, worth it, maybe? Definitely worth it. I yeah. think he thought. Yeah. Also, this man probably wasn't a good person either. Oh, no, it doesn't sound like it. And also, he escaped again, but this time... Because it's easy. ...in the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> and then, uh, this was in 1955, and he dipped to Florida. Where everybody likes to go to. <laughs> Where I'm convinced I'm moving to because the real estate is cheap. Stop it. <laughs> um, so, he escaped to the back of a garbage cr- truck... He was rearrested and then released on parole in 1961. Maybe don't release a definitely Not convicted one. murder. Yeah. I think Maybe he just there. don't. <laughs> He's he spent his whole life in and out of prison, right? Yep. We can assume that at this mm-hmm. point. So then once he was released, he began committing robberies because he just couldn't stay away. Well, that's just like a fun hobby. Yeah. To have. To not have to work. I feel that. So then he's released two years at this point again. Stop releasing him. In 1963, he was arrested for raping a 12-year-old girl, where after his arrest, he somehow got away and then was rearrested a few months later in Georgia and then put on parole again in 1968. But here's a thought. Just maybe don't let this one go. Maybe just don't. (laughs) That's like Manson. Just leave, come and go as you please. Like, you're allowed to just walk out well, of the front door. That's what Charles Manson did. Also very yes. small, 5'2". Maybe that's it. When he was, when Manson was like 21, he went back to prison and asked them to keep him. He said he was not fit for society. And they're like, ah, you good. You're fine. You cannot self-commit yourself. <laughs> Straight up like, I'm fucking crazy. I cannot handle the real world. And they're like, no, you good You're though. good. You're fine. Bye. Deal with it? Yeah. Eat a Snickers. Maybe you're just hungry. In September of 1969, he committed his first non-prison murder. He picked up a hitchhiker, tortured her, and then sunk her body in a swamp. In his memoir, which you can buy for, for the small price of $285 on Amazon. What a steal. Or give me the best birthday present of my life. He... He said when he was killing her, and I quote, is all I could think about is how I could do anything I wanted to her. And he would later call these kills coastal kills. And they were people he killed, both male and female, while driving the southern coast. Like, not California southern, but like South Carolina (laughs) southern. And they were solely for pleasure and were committed once every six weeks. Although he did say he got an urge on the 10th of every calendar month. So I'm going to say like four to six weeks. Why? Like, why specifically the 10th? Like, he's just Because like, he's writing a memoir and he's going to God, I forgot what day it was. I need to kill somebody. This is also where he cured his feelings, and again, I quote, of bothersomeness. Stop it. Yeah, bothersomeness, like, that's what he's calling his urge to rape and kill people? Sure is. Hmm. Sure is. Okay. Okay, so he would torture and mutilate um, his victims while simultaneously trying to keep them alive as long as possible. Oh, no. Yeah, he would keep them alive for up to four days. um, And he would... Sometimes he would kill them or mutilate them. um, And he confessed to even eating some Mm -mm. and making them either, A, watch him eat it or eat themselves as well. No. Yep. 
No. Yep. These were the for fun kills. For pleasure only. Was he, like, doing this in his house? No, like, in the, like, mud banks. He um, also had um, land in Prospect, but I don't think he killed them there. Fun fact. I don't love that. He did drive a hearse, and when people asked him why he bought the hearse, he said it was to transport dead bodies to his own private cemetery, and nobody questioned him. I mean, he didn't lie. They, like, laughed it off. They are like, huh? He did Pee-wee. not lie. That's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what Transporting he was the people doing. that he already killed to wherever he was going to bury their bodies. His own private cemetery. Yes. In Prospect. <sighs> okay. Um, so then in November of 1970, he committed his first of what he called serious murders, which were people he knew and killed for personal reasons, which are apparently much different than the, than the ones you do fun? for fun. There's not like a fun category of murdering people coastal kills stop it (laughs) no like there's just that's what he says he's classifying his own kills yes these are for fun my hobbies i like to do them these ones are work so the serious murders were also sometimes for hire got it like people would pay him to kill people okay but the first his first victim of his serious murders was his own niece and her friend what was his reasoning for killing his own niece? I don't know. She called him tiny. Uh, I don't... I, I'm assuming something along those lines. I just thought that he would have, like, a reason. I thought he was, like, this person called me short, so I'm going to kill him. Mm. Yeah, but that's probably what she did. <laughs> okay. And then, um... So she he beat her and her friend to death. But typically, these were execution-style murders. Okay. Um, and he would bury these bodies along the coast. Some of them um, were for higher kill were for higher kills. Um, and while everybody who knew him didn't think he was like some heinous serial killer, they did think that he would kill somebody for the right price. They're not wrong, but they were also wrong. Wrong. Yes. Okay. So then it's in November of 1975. That he, his friend, goes to police and says that he watched him kill two people. So mm-hmm. then December 4th, they go to his house to arrest him. He drives them to his land in Prospect and is like, here's eight of the bodies I've killed. He was just done. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Yep. They have, Merry early Christmas. Yes. They yeah. have eight confirmed bodies. He said he's killed up to 110 what did he do with the rest of the 102 bodies? He buried them along the coast. Oh. Okay. Or for fame. Who knows? Like that guy, Lee... My brain wants to say Lee Harvey Oswald, and it's definitely it's not, not right. My brain always wants to say <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, but you know who I'm talking about. Yes. The guy who, like, confessed to all those murders, and they're, like, not you all You didn't his. do any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Pee Wee Gaskins. He was in, like, the 30s and 50s. There's not, like, a ton of stuff about him, but his sister does live in Arizona. That's a fun fact. Yeah, I think there was, like, 16 siblings, but, like, one of them. <laughs> that's too many. <laughs> that's too many kids. You cannot have that many kids. Well, that's how they drink kerosene, you know? <sighs> yep. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm going to do William Devin Howell. 
He was born February 11th, 1970 in Virginia. He called himself the Sick Ripper. Okay. Maybe like a playoff of Jack the Ripper. Nobody knows. Um, he is, like he claims Connecticut's most notorious killer. He has said himself that he had a perfectly normal childhood. Oh, that's he, unique. He's like, there was no trauma, no abuse, didn't have any head injuries, didn't wet the bed, didn't torture animals. Literally, average childhood, nothing was wrong, ever. Great. Uh, like, that itself, out of, out of the ordinary for a serial killer to come from a seemingly, like, normal background and then turn out to be a serial killer. Yes. So he did an interview, and he, like, he was asked, how did you go from happy kid to killer? And he says, that, like, so it all started for him. He says, I started screwing up my life through drinking, and I served half of the 90s in jail or prison in Virginia. It was all for driving a car without a license. So that made him, like, very bitter, very angry. That's when he starts to, like, fantasize about raping and murdering women. He says the fantasy wasn't just, was just about raping them. Like, the fantasy wasn't about murdering them. He only did that to cover them up. Like, cover his crime of raping them up. Oh, uh, so basically, his spree started, he just decided one day, on a whim, that he was just going to start killing people. Like, his literal quote is that he had been out drinking. He was just pissed off at his girlfriend, like they were fighting. He had been drinking, and he says, and I quote, Well, tonight's the night. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make my fantasy come true. Okay. Uh, he says that it wasn't like some kind of impulse or like a monster living in him that made him do all of this. It was a conscious choice that he was making and he just chose to not give a shit. So he went on his spree killing from January to October of 2003 in Connecticut. Oh, this is too recent. Oh yeah, he's still in jail. Like alive. His most recent conviction was like 2017. Wow. Um... So all seven of his victims were known drug abusers and some were sex workers. So, like, he was preying on vulnerable women. That people didn't give a shit about, in yep. theory. Yep. Um, he did have a girlfriend throughout his entire spree, despite the fact that he would also frequently visit, like, sex workers as a customer. Okay. Uh, he would also use, like, recreationally use drugs for fun. Um, but was he, like, an addict? No. But, like, he's quoted as saying that he was cleaning up the streets by murdering these women because they were drug abusers and sex workers. Oh, thank you, so, Dexter. <laughs> the same things that he's doing, though. He's using drugs. He's using prostitutes. And then he's turning around and killing them. To keep them away from the children. So he drove a 1985 Ford Econoline van that he Ooh. very lovingly nicknamed the Murder Mobile. Great. Did he tell his wife that? Or his girlfriend, I'm sorry. Oh, no, but he did buy it from her parents. But, like, because, like, if I bought a van, like, there's a really good chance I would call it the Motormobile. Murdermobile? Yeah. You should. But, like, I would be kidding. No, he wasn't. He was living in this van, but he would also call it his Murdermobile. Um, he bought it from his girlfriend's parents for $400. And, like, when he wasn't busy murdering sex workers, he worked as a landscaper and, like, did odd yard work jobs. And advertised himself on the side of the van. Okay. Like, not keeping his van a low profile at no. all. Here's my name. Here's my contact info. Hit me up if you want your yard work done or if you want to do drugs. Or if you want me to kill somebody. You want me to murder somebody for you? I might do it. Okay. Okay, so jump into the crimes. January 1st, 2003, his first victim, Melanie Ruth Camellini, goes missing. 
She is a 29-year-old single mother of two living in a nearby city of Waterbury, Connecticut. Uh, but she was last seen in the area of New Britain, which is where all of his crimes take place, New Britain, Connecticut. Um, she's seen with two men. She had a known substance abuse problem, and she would frequently go missing for long periods of time. So nobody really knows where she's at ever, basically. Um, Janice Roberts is 44 years old. She went missing on June 18th, 2003. She was seen getting into Howell's blue van at a gas station, and she was reported missing six days later on June 24th. She's said to have had the least torturous murders out of all of Howell's victims because she was transgendered, and when Howell tried to make a move, like, a sexual advance on her, he discovered that, got enraged, and just choked her out. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Diane Cusack was a 55-year-old resident of New Britain, where all the bodies were discovered. She went missing sometime in the mid-2003s. Nobody's really sure. She had last had contact with police on July 9th during a landlord-tenant dispute, but she was also a known substance abuser, had no contact with any of her family for years, and because of that, nobody reported her missing. Was she related to John Cusack? Possible. Nobody knows. Okay. So his next victim is the one that, like, really just kind of fucks him over. It's 33-year-old Nilsa Arismendi. She's the victim that actually put him behind bars before anybody knew that he was a serial killer. Okay. Uh, July 31st, 2003, Nilsa Mendy's sister told police that she hadn't seen or heard from her for seven days. Mendy's boyfriend, who was a convicted drug dealer, was immediately a suspect in her disappearance, but he was cleared after passing like a polygraph test, providing an alibi. The sister told police that Mendy was a heroin user and a sex worker who was living in a motel with the boyfriend. Okay. So the boyfriend, after he gets cleared, he's telling the police that Howell had stayed overnight in their room the night that Arismendi goes missing. And that he had last seen her at 2.30 in the morning, July 25th. And that was like her getting into his van. We'll circle back to her for the full story because like it is interesting, but I want to get through the rest of his victims. Okay. So next we have Marilyn Gonzalez. She's a 26-year-old mother of two who went missing after leaving her home in Waterbury, Connecticut and nobody ever saw her again. Um, Joy Martinez was 23 years old when she went missing on October 10th, 2003, but she wasn't reported missing until March 29th, 2004. Wow. So six months later, four months later. Uh, and she was only reported missing because her family used to have like a big family get-together for her and her mom's birthday, and she just didn't show up to it. Uh, she was last seen in her hometown of East Hartford, where she lived with her mom. So, like, how does she just go missing and her mom doesn't notice for six months when she's, like, living with her? I mean, an addict, though. I know. Okay. And then last we have Mary Jane Menard. She was a 40-year-old substance abuse counselor from Waterbury, and she went missing in New Britain in October of 2003. So, those seven victims' bodies were all dumped in the same place, it was a steep embankment in a foresty area behind a like, small shopping plaza in New Britain. And Howell called it his garden. Okay. I have a picture that he drew from prison, like basically depicting, here's the shopping center, here's where all of these bodies are. And he like makes a little mark where every single body is. I don't know why that creeped me out so much. It's like straight up just a drawing in pencil on a piece of paper. But he's, like, writing it out for police. So, like, the bodies weren't covered at all? No, he did bury them. Oh, okay. So, he would 
his dumping ground was, um, it was discovered because there was a hunter that was looking for a good place to, like, chill, camp, hide yeah. out. Um, and he came across a skull. So, once Howell was caught, he admitted to literally shoving the bodies of these women from his van that he would pull up, like, in the back of the parking lot, right up to, like, the ridge of, like, this ravine, and just push them out. He would wrap them in plastic and just push them out because they were too heavy to carry down. So he'd push them out and then he would walk down and bury them. Um, all seven of his victims disappeared in 2003, but the cases remained unsolved until, until 2007. Um, he came under investigation in April 2004 after police were led from Arizmendi's boyfriend's tips to Howell's van. So like, he told police who this guy is, this is what he drives, this is like his license plate, like he gave them all of the information that they needed to get him. Um, and they, so they seized the van, they found it, they seized it. They had found that all of the seat cushions in the back had been removed. Okay. They did find DNA evidence under like the carpet flooring that belonged to two people. They matched the DNA sample from one of Arismendi's relatives and found that it was a 99% match. So like they didn't have her DNA because her body still hadn't been found. But they were able to piece together that she had been murdered from the blood evidence in his van. Um, at the time of like the trial for this, her body hadn't been found. None of the other victims had been found. So he's charged with first degree manslaughter. Um, <laughs> manslaughter. I know. Manslaughter. That's like As a what you get killer. if you accidentally kill somebody like with your car. Yes. So he's sitting there knowing he's a serial killer. He's killed seven people and he's fighting a manslaughter charge. Which is like six years. I mean, I'm not saying, like... Yeah. It's bad. So it gets kind of worse because he basically answered, enters in an Alford plea, which is something that I didn't know was a thing. So that is when you won't admit to committing the crime, but there is so much evidence that you will get convicted. Yes, that you, like... Un you're, like, <laughs> unwillingly admitting... Yes. ...to doing it. Yes. You're yes. like, it wasn't me, but because you have so much information, I guess I'll say it was me kind of thing. Like, he very unwillingly, and then he tried to fight it mm -hmm. for a long time. So he sentenced 15 years in prison for this manslaughter. Oh, okay. My mistake. Yes. The whole time he's, like, insisting he didn't kill her. Six years good behavior. Yes. Slap on the wrist. Goodbye. Break out from the second story. Um, so he's insistent he didn't kill Arismendi. The blood in his van was from a fight that she had gotten into with her boyfriend while they were both in the van. Yeah. He also was, like, fighting really hard to get his Alford plea thrown out, basically saying that his lawyer had pressured him into the agreement. He also attempted to get his Alford plea thrown out, basically saying that his lawyer had pressured him into the agreement. Um, a few weeks after he's sentenced, a hunter stumbles upon the human bones, and it's called the West Farms Shopping Plaza. They were identified as Diane Cusack, Joy Martinez, and Mary Jane Menard. So we're still missing four bodies. The rest of the victims are uncovered on April 28th, 2015. Same place? Yes. Oh, okay. I don't know why it took them so long. Maybe. Maybe, I, like, in the drawing, they're pretty spread out, but, like, not that spread out. Like, if you're uncovering bodies, maybe just look, like, six feet in front of you. Yeah. Just, just keep looking a little bit. But they didn't know how many people he had killed, because at this point, he's not admitting to anything. And they still haven't pinned these bodies on him. Yeah. Because the first set of bodies that they find aren't Arismendi. So they don't, they, they don't have the connection that it's him. 
Um, he, so he's in prison. He had confessed his crimes to his cellmate, including that he called himself the Sick Ripper and that he called his van the Murder Mobile. Like, he was trying to coin these phrases for himself hard. Like, he wants them. Um, and he told them about his dumping location. So once the police got word of all of that, that's when they start to go search and everything. And they find everybody else. They discover more DNA evidence in the van. Six out of seven samples matched his victims because he didn't rape or stab uh, mm. Janice Roberts. He just strangled her. So there was no DNA evidence for that's her. That's right. So while Howell was in prison, he wouldn't give interviews to anybody. He didn't want to talk to anybody, no press, no media. But there was an author and attorney, her name is Ann K. Howard, and she reached out to him repeatedly because she had been blogging about these missing women and their bodies once they started to turn up, like when they were identified. So he opens up to her, he gives her like a full, complete confession, all the details of his crimes. So he would duct tape their mouths so that nobody could hear them making any noise. He would park his murder mobile in kind of remote locations, but not really, like he really loved that parking lot, so he didn't leave it. Like, he would park it in, like, a back corner, but he said that sometimes there was there were cars, like, as close as 50 feet from his van while, like, he has these people in the back of it. I feel like we definitely said this, but you walk by 13 dead bodies in your lifetime in a car. And that was it. Several people probably got their count from him. Um, he would rape them all night and into the morning, and then he had this breakfast ritual where he would go through the McDonald's parking lot, or the McDonald's drive through in the same parking lot, and order breakfast for him and them sometimes, give them breakfast as a last meal, and then kill them. I hate that. Yep. Can't eat McDonald's breakfast anymore. I don't want to be murdered. No. So he told his first victim, Melanie Camellini, that, quote-unquote, all he wanted was sex, and if she didn't give him any trouble, he wouldn't hurt her. Which was a lie, because then he hit her with a hammer and then strangled her to death. At this point, he's living in the van. This was his first victim. He kept her corpse in his van for two weeks, sleeping next to it, nicknamed it Baby, because it was quote-unquote too cold to bury her. How bad did that van smell? Oh, like death. It had to have two weeks. I mean, granted, it was cold outside, so they weren't like baking, but still, two weeks with a dead body in your van that you're sleeping next to and like cuddling with. What about his girlfriend? Where is his girlfriend? Well, she doesn't live in the van with him. Does she not notice he smells like ass every time he like pulls up to her house? No. Okay. I don't... Just a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Maybe he showers at like the trucker stop showers. It's a mystery. I don't know. All right. Um, so, November 17th, 2017, William Devin Howell was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences. Good. Because at this point, they've tied all DNA evidence back to him. He pleads guilty to the murders of Diane Cusack, Joy Martinez, Mary Jane Menard, Marilyn Gonzalez, Melanie Camlini, and Janice Roberts. Big turn. Yep. Um, because he's suddenly very empathetic. He cried during his sentencing and said that his actions were monstrous, cowardly, and selfish. And he wished that he had gotten the death penalty. Well, yeah, because prison sucks. Well, yes. He also admitted during an interview that if he had not been caught, his spree would have probably continued. Outside of his seven confirmed victims, police had also found videotapes in his van of, like, him having sex with other women, other, like, sex workers, 
but they're missing women. So I like as I'm researching this guy, I saw like still photos of these women from his videos that they're still trying to identify. Wow. Like 15 years later. Wow. 18 years later. Yeah. Did you hear that messed up story of the toy box killer? How one of his victims identified herself? What do you mean? She's like chilling, living her life, like had a weird month, doesn't really know what happened. Yeah. And like five years later when they catch him, there's a video of a girl, like they put like a still shot of oh, this girl a, with a, a tattoo? leg tattoo. And she looks down at her leg and it's her tattoo, but she has no like, like I have read that before, like recollection of being captured and she was like losing her mind yeah. naturally. Yeah, as you would. Yeah. Oh. Too much. It's too oh. much. And that's um, William Devin Howell, uh, Connecticut's most notorious serial killer. Yeah, pretty recent. Yeah. I mean, 20 years. I mean, the murders still. weren't recent, but, like, his conviction and, like, finding I mean, the bodies were. I mean, 2000s were out of the 70s, man. Stop. <laughs> Stop. I feel like everything's in the 70s. Well, yeah, serial killers were way more rampant, like, 74 to, like, 84. Well, because there's no DNA evidence. Lose you could do whatever shit. the fuck you wanted. Yeah. And well, nobody knew. Yeah. And just think, like, if Howell had kept his fucking mouth shut and not confessed to those crimes, they would have found the bodies. Maybe. Maybe. Eventually, I'm sure. But, like, would they have connected them back to him? How many dead bodies are, like, just... Chilling? I don't know. It creeps me out. Really? Like, the golf course that's behind my house? How many dead bodies are out there? I don't know. I, like, don't actually want it to happen, but, like, a piece of me has always wanted to be the person that, like, finds a skull. Yep. Every time we go camping. Like, I don't want to find a skull, but I think that I do. Every time we go camping, <laughs> and I always, because I, everything, there's always bears. Bears are everywhere. Yes. Uh, every time there's bones, I'm convinced they're human, and Blake is like, those are deer? Not human. And I'm like, you don't know, that's a femur. He's like, it's not a femur. Well, no, I found, like, oh, actual, possibly could be femur-sized bones. And he's like, well, were they right next to that deer skull? And I'm like, listen, that's their table. That's where they eat. I wouldn't know the bones be there. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all. Next week, we are going to be having Battle of the Eds. Yes. I'm doing Ed Gein. And I'm doing Ed Kemper, who's my favorite. And that's going to be a really good episode. I like, you're going to hear me say that I love him, but just know that it's like... I don't actually love him. We don't ever actually love any of these people. We are just fascinated just by the shit they so do. Fascinating, yeah. Yeah, he's my f yeah. Can't wait to talk about him. Okay, next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, also, oh. did you stop it? No. We're not sure how to do the birth charts yet because they're so overwhelming. If you're not already familiar with the information. Yes. Yeah, so we are trying to find a digestible way. Yep. To do it. Yes. There's a lot of information. And if you don't deep dive into it, a lot of the like basic facts on it contradict each other. Yes. So we're trying to bring up enough deep stuff so that it all makes sense. But also to not make it a four hour long birth chart episode where we ramble. Because you could easily. Yes. Okay. That is the end. No. That is the end. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>